You've got your Bible now. You have opened it to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I remind you that we're in the final uh, Sunday of Advent here. What we've been doing each and every Sunday of Advent is to be able to look at one of the characters of Christmas. So we're, we're zooming in, close-up shots on our nativity scenes. The first Sunday, we looked at the adoptive father of Jesus, Joseph. We looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus, last uh, two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at the shepherds here. And so we want to zoom in on those final characters in our nativity scene that we're looking at through this Advent season. And we want to examine the word of the Lord in regard to the wise men, the, the magi. Now, to find that in the Christmas narratives, I want you to look with me and read along with me in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, verse 7, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And they saw the star. They rejoiced greatly, or rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, verse 11, going into the house where they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They opened the treasures, their treasures. Then they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, have for us a, a portrait of the wise men. Now, when you're setting up your nativity scenes at your home here, most often we think of the wise men sort of right behind uh, the shepherds, sort of peering over their, their shoulders, looking in at uh, baby Jesus and Mary and, and Joseph right there in the nativity scene. But technically, I mean, you, you see this here as I've read to you, Matthew 2, that the wise men are, are way off. I mean, way, way off from the manger. So if you're setting up your nativity scene and you've got uh, Mary and baby Jesus and Joseph and you've got the shepherds there in the nativity scene and that's in your living room, uh, you know, at least the, the wise men sort of need to be in the guest room, I guess you could say. Uh, even more than that, if you want to get even uh, further than that, you, you probably need to go down your street and find a neighbor and, and put the wise men in the neighbor's room. But that would be sort of an awkward conversation, I guess you could say. So I'm not asking you to take that up, but um, unless, unless you want to have a really, really strange conversation. But you get the point, right? You get the point. And, and, and it does sort of lead to the question then, when did the wise men come to see Jesus? 
we have a tradition in our mind, but again, looking at the word of the Lord, verse 11, they show up and they're not at a manger, they're at a house. And so at least this is weeks, most probably months after that original Christmas night, the shepherds show up on the scene and Mary and Joseph are there and we have the angels. So Jesus is at least a few weeks old, maybe uh, I would say most likely he is he's months old at this time here, if not even older. Herod, he, his command, which is overzealous, I think, he is so threatened by someone who is a power threat to his rule. He says, every child in Bethlehem, two and under, needs to be killed. And so we see, while Herod sees this child as a threat, the wise men ascertaining the star that appears in the sky they see him as who he is, the king of the Jews, and they come to worship him as the king. So when do they show up to see Jesus? Uh, weeks later, months later, maybe even longer than that. Who were the wise men? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? We, we have this Christmas carol, you know it by heart. We three kings of Orient are burying gifts. We traverse afar. Uh, they weren't kings, though. I, I know the song says that. But they weren't kings. They're, they most likely for from Persia, so uh, think Iran, modern-day Iran, and their positioning, the, these wise men or magi, they, they have sort of this, this background as a religious group. And their religion was found in, in looking into the stars and seeing the positioning of the stars and using the positioning of the stars to interpret dreams and to predict the future. So these are ancient precursors to astrologists and fortune tellers that we see, not kings, but these three wise men. Or is it three wise men? Well, of course, the answer to that isn't three. Uh, we, we so often say the three wise men. But the reason we say three is because in the text, they bring three gifts but they're not numbered in the text, are they? Uh, if you look back at church history and you see paintings, you have some paintings of the wise men that are 12 in the paintings. You have some that are eight. Uh, most often, they're three. It goes back to the second century. There was a pastor by the name of Origen who talked about the connection of the three gifts and the three wise men here. Now, all of that is sort of speculation. We, we, we don't know how many wise men they were. We don't know exactly how long it took them to get there. But what we do know is that God has revealed himself to them in a way that they could understand. This is one of the most amazing aspects of this story. Now, I don't want you to miss it here. I don't want you to miss it with just questions that we don't have answers to. What we know about this story is, is they're not Israelites. They're Gentiles. And so they don't have the Old Testament prophecies that the Israelites had to long for the Messiah, to predict the coming of the Messiah. And so what does God do? He reveals the, the story of Jesus. He reveals the coming of Jesus in a way that they would have been able to understand. And I think this is just a wonderful reminder. It's a wonderful reminder to us of the love that God has for the entire world. It is, it is a, a symbol of really John 3, 16, uh, for God so loves all the world, e even these Persian astrologists, even these wise men, that's the all here, not just the Israelites, not just the Jewish people here, but even those outside of God's covenant family. And I, I love this story because it's just a reminder of the truth of Christmas here, that God meets us where we are. 
You know that, doesn't he? He comes to us. He meets us where we are. God reveals himself to us in ways that we can understand. God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't have to reveal himself. There's no deficiency in God, but he chooses. He chooses to reveal himself to you and to me, and we can praise God that he is not silent. He is God who has spoken, and he introduces these wise men to his son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they behold him and worship him. And you know that even now, if you're worshiping and you're watching this here, that he desires to to show you the, the very character and purpose of his son. He desires to speak to you and draw you to behold and to worship his son, Jesus. So what gifts do they bring? Now, we know this here. There, there are a lot of questions that we can't uh, fully answer here, but we know the, the answer to the question, what gifts do they bring? They bring gold, they bring incense or frankincense, and they bring myrrh here. So all of these gifts that they bring, they show us a unique aspect of Jesus's personality and his rescue mission here. They show us who Jesus is, and they show us an aspect of his very purpose. In the New Testament, gold was utilized as a gift for royalty, for kings, for uh, people who, who are worthy of pomp and circumstance here. And so Mary, as she holds her, her toddler son here, Jesus, as she holds Jesus, who maybe is a few months old or, or even older than that, uh, Mary knows, and the wise men know that he isn't just any normal boy, but he is the king of kings who is worthy of worship. He was worthy of their worship, and he's worthy of our worship. So they bring gold, recognizing the very divinity of Mary's son, Joseph's son, God's eternal son. They bring frankincense. You've seen these clips, haven't you? I mean, they're they're kind of humorous clips that kind of pass around. But you'll you'll see kids telling the story of of the wise men and of the, the shepherds, and and oftentimes you'll have this little cute little boy, cute little boy, girl talking about the three wise guys who came and with the shepherds and and brought gold and frankincense and all those kinds of things. But the word is frankincense. Uh, frankincense. Uh, some versions will talk about incense here. Frankincense was a valuable spice, and it was used for worship. It was used in the Old Testament for offerings of sacrificial animals, and the priest would sprinkle frankincense upon the sacrificial animal. And in many ways, that frankincense, if the gold represents the divinity of Jesus, that he's King of kings and Lord of lords, the frankincense represents the high priestly aspect of who Jesus is. Think of the anonymous writer of Hebrews where he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So Jesus is our great high priest who even today intercedes for us. He is interceding to the Father on our behalf. I'm I'm so grateful to know. Do you you know this? Uh, I love to be able to pray for people, but I'm imperfect. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I for sometimes I move on to the to the next crisis. But do you know that Jesus never moves on in interceding for us? That He's always He's always interceding through the work of the Spirit. He at the right hand throne of the Father is our great High Priest. So frankincense, gold, and then myrrh. Uh, two purposes here. Uh, one is perfume. 
But in that ancient world, you have to think that perfume was utilized to cover up smells also, and most often the smell of death. So myrrh was used as, as an embalming technique. So if you're covering the smell of death, you're going to use myrrh here. And again, it's just a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing that even at an early age, the shadow of the cross is looming before Jesus. That we cannot read the Christmas story without seeing the story of Easter before us. We have to understand that this cute, cuddly little Jesus that we imagine in the manger scene is ultimately going to be a Jesus who lives a perfect life, who dies a saving death upon a cruel, coarse Roman cross. This is who Jesus is. And these wise men, and I don't think they knew this. I don't think they knew this. But God, in his providential way, brings uh, with each of their gifts, an aspect of who Jesus is and his very purpose in his rescue mission. Now, that's his identity. That's his purpose here. And the response of these wise men is to see the star in the sky and to follow it. And before we zoom out and before we finish the sermon here, I am amazed. I am amazed as I read this story of a way that it intersects my life and the way that it intersects your life. I'm, a, I'm amazed at the way that God would lead these wise men to seek Jesus. He gives them a star. Now, I've already told you, a star would have been something they would have been familiar with. A star would have been something they understood. It would have been a part of the very uh, religious practice of, of these wise men who come here. But I want you to know that just as he spoke to them through a star, God is still in the business of, of drawing us to his son. He is still in the business of drawing us to behold the person of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus' life. And I think it's a good question to ask. What is your star? Do you, do you know what I mean by that question? What in your life was, was a turning point that maybe drew you from going in one direction to be able to consider hey, I've got to travel this journey. Who, who is this Jesus? Now, I don't mean literally. Did you look up into the stars and see this guy? Now, God is sovereign. He's big enough. He, could, he can reveal himself in whatever way he, he chooses. But I, I'm kind of thinking of the way that he often uses stars as people in our life and circumstances of our life. Uh, aspects that lead us, give us light to be able to behold who Jesus is. I, I can think of stars in my life. You know, uh, Basketball and football were stars, indirect ways that God drew me on a path to know who his son was. I had a football coach, I've told this story before, a football coach who I absolutely adored, who said, David, I want you to attend Fellowship of Christian Athletes with me. And I went to the middle school gym and I heard a message. And for really one of the first times in my life, I, I began to, to feel the weight of the truth of God's word. Now, listen. I didn't become a Christian that day, but it was one step, that star of football and having a coach and a believer who was a coach. Another aspect of that was basketball. I was invited almost simultaneous to, to this in, in God's kind of providential way. Simultaneous to this, I was invited to a church and I really had no interest in attending church. But my friend said, hey, before we go to our youth group meeting, we play basketball in their gym. And I said, sign me up. When can we go? And, and it was through just playing basketball at this church 
that I met Christians who loved the word of God and they loved me and they, they taught the gospel to me. And, and it was through the influences of, of following that star through things that were as, as simple as football and basketball that drew me to the place where I followed and beheld who Jesus was and followed him as my savior and as my Lord. Now in your life, what has drawn you to him? What is the way that God has revealed himself to you? I had a friend who goes off to college, his roommate who he did not know, he was stuck with him his first semester, his fall uh, semester there in college. He really sort of detested this guy, but, but over a period of time, just the faithful witness of his roommate drew him to where he saw something different in him. He was invited to Campus Crusade. He heard the gospel. And over a period of really what was months, God was just drawing him one step, one step to the star of a roommate, the star of an invitation here. And I just think in, in your life, we all have these ways that God is revealing himself to us. It, it very well may be the influence of a mom, a, a father. It might be the influence of a Sunday school teacher, a friend. It might be the influence of a neighbor, a youth pastor. I mean, we've got a long list. And oftentimes there's, there's multiple people that God is using to draw us one step closer, one step closer to where we're able to behold Jesus in all of his glory and all of his kingliness and, and who he is as our rescuer. I have a sneaky suspicion, and I think you do too, that God is using COVID-19, that he is using the disruption of this time, the uncertainty of this time to grab people's attention and to lead them on a journey where they're asking questions that that if we're going to be honest, that people have not asked in, uh, in, in a very long time. It very well may be that you are watching this right now and you're worshiping with us this morning and you're beginning to see, hey, I haven't been walking closely with Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I haven't been obedient to him. And in these last months, he, he has utilized the star of these circumstances to turn your eyes back to him where you're repenting of sin and you're saying, God, I, I want to follow you and I want to follow you faithfully. But maybe you're worshiping with us and you say, there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus as your savior. Would you believe me that maybe this is a part of that, that star that is shining upon your life, drawing you to who Jesus truly is, that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he died for your sins, and he wants to save you, he wants to rescue you. And if you would just turn to him, and you would admit that you're a sinner, that you do things that separate yourself from him, a holy God, that when you turn to him by faith, he would save you even today. One of the great joys of opening up God's word is knowing that it speaks to all of us. And I don't know exactly how it's speaking to you right now, but I know this, we're all on a journey. And God is drawing us to him in salvation or he's drawing us as Christians to him to follow him faithfully. So I ask you, don't ignore the signs, the circumstances around you, because it very well may be God through his spirit leading us that next step to behold his son, who is the only true king, who is the only true savior. He is the only true source of hope, 
joy, peace, and light. The wise men, they beheld Jesus and they worshiped him. Would you join me in worshiping him today? He is worthy of all our worship. Do you know that? Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning asking you that you would speak through your word to all of us who are worshiping this morning. For some of us, we look back with gratitude for the way that you arranged people in our lives, circumstances in our lives, to draw us to a saving knowledge of you. All of us who are followers of you understand that you use circumstances, you use people to draw us into a greater intimacy with you. So all of us that are worshiping this morning, we, we want to be led by you. We pray, lead us, God. Lead us to the place of faithfulness. We admit our ignorance. We admit that, that we are not you. We do not have a sovereign understanding of all that is going on around us. So, so we pray that your word would lead us that you would use people in our life to draw us more closely to you. We know you're always working. Give us eyes to see the way you're leading us, to behold and to worship the only true King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.